You know you've got to sing along. But don't you know This is the Cabinets HR Podcast, hosted by Jason Cabinets. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners, founders, and people in tech startups in HR. If you fall into one of these categories or are just curious about them, then this is the podcast for you. You will gain great insights from these great conversations. The Cabinets HR Podcast is brought to you by Cabinets HR. At Cabinets HR, we deliver HR to companies with 49 or fewer people by automating the HR process. We believe that you don't need a full-time HR person to receive full-time HR expertise. Hello, and welcome to Cabinets HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cabinets. Our guest today is Kirsten Griggs. Kirsten, are you ready to be great today? I am. Kirsten is a talent acquisition consultant and career coach. In 2017, she founded Trap Recruiter LLC, a small business committed to bridging the gap between the job seeker and organizations committed to tracking, hiring, developing, and retaining diverse talent and fostering inclusive, equitable cultures. During her 19-year career, she has implemented creative recruiting strategies for defense, intelligence, federal, and civilian contract portfolios and accumulated a full range of talent acquisition experience, including full lifecycle recruiting, executive hiring, talent acquisition operations, training development and delivery, talent acquisition product management, college recruiting, internal staffing, and proposal in, and proposal incumbent capture. Always focused on relationship building, she engages with a broader audience via her blog as a guest speaker, as a guest in various podcasts, facilitating workshops and training, and as creator of the Hashtag Recruiter Problems Mean series. Kirsten, thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. What, uh, what do you, you're going on a lot of stuff right now, but what do you focus on? Right now, uh, I do focus primarily on a um, contract that I have with a company to staff their global trade compliance group. So that is my quote unquote nine to five job. Um, that would be your regular full life cycle recruiting. And then I still do um, some of my uh, independent things on the side. And I am grateful and so very thankful that this company is very amenable to my schedule, allowing me to continue to do trap recruiter work uh, as long as their their good work is completed. So Kirsten, it's like a lot of recruiters like have a niche, like they only do construction, only do tech, but it's like you're a broad, broad, broad and general based recruiter. Well, initially, um, I was a tech recruiter because um, I started in 1999. And because of the area that I live in, a lot of 8A companies were popping up. And the way that I got into government contracting was that the a company that was one of our um, customers, they actually did not have a recruiting department. So they brought three of us over to be their internal recruiters instead of paying us that, you know, heavy fee that they paid for each hire. So then they just paid us salaries and it, it uh, saved them a lot of money. And somehow I transitioned that into the more Intel space or the Intel portfolios for the companies that I worked for. But again, that work was very broad. It could be an a executive hire. It could be, you know, a contracts person. It could be a security person. It could, and, and it could be an IT person or an engineer. Um, so the only difference was in a lot of cases, I was adding a clearance 
to the requirements for the jobs I was hiring against. So, Kirsten, so you do both defense and civilian recruiting, correct? Yes. So what, what are some of the differences between the two? Is one easier or more challenging than the other one? Or they're about the well, same? Defense is definitely more challenging, again, because you, ha- you only have so many folks that are not only used to the culture of a, a defense contractor, especially when you're talking about people that are going to be sitting on site at a government site or at a military installation. So that is a little bit more difficult when you add the caveat that they not only have to know the programs and the little nuances of the culture, but they also have to have a security clearance. Kirsten, can you explain your passion for recruiting and why you decided to do this as your career? I love helping people. Um, There is a wonderful feeling that you get when you help someone get a job. I know what it's like to be unemployed. Uh, I didn't at the time that I started recruiting. I thought it was going to be more of like a sales type of thing. And, you know, I had this idea, the same that I think we see on, on memes now where, you know, it's like what people think I do. And it's like this lavish lifestyle. We're on boats and yachts, drinking champagne. And, and that's not really it. You know, we really are doing work. So I had this idea of what it was going to be like to be a technical recruiter. But the more I got into the actual, you know, strategy of it, you know, being a relationship builder, building trust, um, helping people get a job, you know, fill, you know, creating the, the organizational culture with the people that I was hiring, making sure I was hiring the best talent that we could. That's what really, you know, drives me and gets me excited every single day. Kirsten, what do most uh, job candidates get wrong about working with a recruiter? Sometimes it can be a little bit abusive. And sometimes um, if recruiters don't set boundaries or if they try to be everything to everyone, and that's not just the candidates, but the hiring managers or the customers that they're supporting, uh, recruiters can sometimes get burned out. And they, they, they think that we don't have anything else to do but, but uh, attend to them. And a lot of times we have a lot of uh, things we're juggling at one, at one particular time. So some of them are, are expecting 24-7 access to you, and that's not a reality. That's not realistic. It's not realistic. Uh, And I do my best as I've gotten older and more mature to, you know, really be the one that sets those boundaries and cuts cuts the lines of communication after a certain time Uh, because people will try to have access to you 100%. You know, especially now you can email me, you know, which used to be the only way or you could call me and then, you know, we got cell phones. So you can call me on my cell phone. You could call me at work. You could text me. You could email me. Now you can reach out to me on social media and tell everybody in the world that I did not respond to you in a manner that you, <laughs> you know, as timely as you would like. And now you've embarrassed me and you probably talked yourself out of a job because maybe I was busy and I just didn't get to you yet. Or maybe your timeline wasn't my timeline. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of, of ways that um, a recruiter has to be very, very aware of how they're managing their time and the people that have access to it. Well, I have to think if a candidate has a recruiter on their side, that's be the best thing for them because everyone everyone's going to change jobs eventually. If you have a recruiter, you know, like someone is on your you know on your side, they call you call you, hey, I'm gonna probably leave my job in six months. You know, you know, that's like a it has to be like a value added for that person. I would think it definitely is. Um, I think the biggest challenge that I have. Um, if I'm speaking in general terms, you know, there are always those one-offs, but it's with the people that know me personally and my family. <laughs> they are the ones that take the most advantage because I get crazy requests of, you know, things to do you know, because I have certain 
accesses to stuff. And I'm just like, no, that's not appropriate. Like, don't ask me to do that. I'm not, I'm not doing that for you. Or, or you know what? I don't have time to do that right now because I do actually have a job that makes me do the things that you're asking me to do. Kirsten, how much of a challenge is like you'll work on the company and the hiring manager just gives a job description and based on that, you give them some candidates and they come back, oh, no, this is what I want. I really need this now. How much how often does that happen? A lot. It happens a lot in organizations that are new. And I'm working in an organization that is 100% new. Um, I'm, I was actually hired to staff the, the organization completely. Um, that group of people, I should say, because it is a, a large company. But this group is new. So there is not a lot of confidence in what they need because there's no precedent already set. And the things that went wrong with the previous group they're, I think they're far too focused on not repeating those mistakes, that they're not really looking at what went right and what, what can we replicate and how can we move things forward quickly. So it happens to me, unfortunately, a, a great deal where I'm revising things, I'm redoing things. Most of the time, it's because of the level of the position that they described. Um, they put out one thing and I think they wanted to get a lot of, you know, responses or see what they get back. There's a lot of that, what will I get back? You know, they, they cast a wider net and then they start to draw it in. And when we do find the right person, we end up having to do a lot of administrative work in the background to correct the, the level of the position. And it is my, that is one of my pet peeves in recruiting because you don't level people. I feel like you level, you level positions. Yes. Yeah, so Kira says, it's like most new companies that start off and they're hire the people they know, but you know, the person you know probably isn't the best person, you know, to do marketing for you. And you say they, you know, hire people like them, you know? Yes, absolutely. How do you, you convince people that know maybe, you know, your best bud is not the best marketing person. And maybe, you know, look, look for other people who don't look like you, you know, diverse hiring and stuff. How do you convince people to do that? It's not easy. Um, we talk a great deal about diversity, inclusion, and equity today, every single day. And I have added, you know, I, I come up with like these little terms all the time. And, you know, I believe in deliberate diversity. I believe in intentional inclusion. And I think a lot of people are, are doing that. They're deliberate in wanting to have a diverse workforce. They're intentional in going to, you know, diversity job fairs or reaching out to veteran organizations or going to Nesby and SWE, et cetera, you know, going to different conferences and things like that. And, and, you know, bringing in interns every summer and, you know, transitioning, you know, a certain percentage of those. So they're intentional, but they, they don't empower and allow for equity to come into the organization. So that's why they lose a number of their diversity hires, why they can't retain diversity hires at the rate that they would like and why the workforce remains, you know, very, 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 uh, for lack of a better term, uh, vanilla. Yeah, I agree with you. It's not, it's not easy because I'm, I'm, I'm I have a start myself trying to do hiring and stuff. It's not easy. Right. First of all, hiring as a startup is not easy at all because, you know, oh, I can't pay a new team, but I give you this thing called equity, which you probably won't get, you know, it's like I tell people, me telling you, I'm gonna give you equity is the same as me telling you the, you know, the pot of gold that are in the rainbow is yours, you know. So it's, right. it's, def it's definitely not easy, definitely a challenge. So Kirsten, tell us something about owning your own business that you did not expect. I did not expect to do so much work that has nothing to do with recruiting. I have always been adamant that I did not want to be a 
to be branded as a um, recruiting agency. Like I don't want to be that because number one, I'm only one person and I really don't have the bandwidth. But there are so many things that go into owning a business that I just was not prepared for and I just was not ready for. But great. Thankfully, I have some very strong uh, entrepreneurs around me um, that aren't necessarily in my industry. And that has helped me tremendously to be able to bounce things off of someone that's doing something completely different, but that has the same challenges or has been through the same challenges I have as a business owner. Yeah. Small business owners like, oh, it's something to do. Like you're finished one thing. Oh, I'm done. Oh, oh no, I'm not done. You know, never, never done. <laughs> so from your point of view, what makes someone a great recruiter? Number one, I think passion for recruiting. Uh, you really have to to love it. Uh, you have to have very thick skin and you have to be able to change your course very quickly. Uh, you're not going to be able to follow a script every single day. You're not going to be able to be, you know, A to Z, one to 10 methodical, methodical every single day. You are going to have to change your priorities over and over and over again. And if you can become, you know, okay with that, with having, you know, multiple personality disorder and OCD um, pressed upon you, then you're going to be a great recruiter. Kirsten, how often or what percentage do you have to deal with people, you know, asking you to do, to do something unethical or, or illegal? How often does that happen as a recruiter? I think I don't, I don't get those because I come from an environment that was highly bureaucratic um, where we did have to follow a lot of rules. And sometimes I felt like there was a lot of self-imposed governance that I myself was trying to get away, you know, trying to get around to make my life a little bit easier. Not that I was doing anything unethical or illegal, but I think some of the controls that we put into the process can sometimes um, make things, you know, more difficult than they should be. So I don't get a lot, I don't get any, you know, outright blatant requests to do something illegal. And if I get something that is, you know, unethical or that, you know, is out of compliance, I'll say is probably the, the, the word that I will use is if I get something that that's not compliant, I will make it compliant, <laughs> you know, if at all possible. For example, we know that we want to hire Joe Smith for this role, but our policies and procedures say that we have to interview three people. So we hire the three, we interview the three, we, uh, we interview the three other people, you know, and we do that. But I'm also, you know, the one that's trying to make people be aware that, no, I didn't give you three just uh, people, you know, three people that I know you weren't going to hire. I gave you people that could either build the pipeline or that may knock Joe Smith out of the running for this position. Like I'm going to do my due diligence. So I don't allow any, anyone, any organization to put me in a situation where I don't feel like I'm being morally sound. No, I, I won't do that. Kirsten, so of course, it always sounds like there's a disconnect, you know, the companies are saying, you know, there's no talent out there. You know, Candace was saying there's nobody hiring us. I mean, is this disconnect always been going on, you know, and how do you fix it? Or can it be fixed? It can be fixed, but I think it's, it's you know, unfortunately one person at a time. I think we've shied a lot away from the traditional way that we used to recruit um, and the attention that we used to give to to people and being able to build talent. Like every, no one, I don't think anyone starts at 100%. You know, 
and, and every every prospective employee, I believe, wants to not be 100 percent day one. You know, they want to they want to grow and they want to develop in an organization. They want career trajectory. They don't want to just stay, you know, the 100 percent, you know, administrative assistant their entire career, you know. So why would why would we hire someone that doesn't have potential to do something more? So from my point of view, I think it's easier to find a job nowadays. And the reason being, because, you know, before, you know, when I was kind of, it was like newspaper ads. Yes. <laughs> but nowadays, you know, you can go to the, the website, you know, come to advertising jobs on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. There's all these places to find the jobs at. So do you think it's easier or harder for people to find jobs now? I think it's I think it's easier for people to get connected to companies, but I mean you know this, it's not necessarily easy to I mean we can fill the jobs, but if we're not filling them with the right people, we're going to be continuing to, you know, fill that what we used to call the the bucket with a, with a hole in it, you know. You you're just you're doing the same thing. Yeah, there's a there's an abundance of people, but are they the right people? So I I think it's it's up to the organizations to make sure that we are doing enough to say what kind of workforce we're going to want in the future, not just for today. So Kirsten, in your time of recruiting, well, two part question. First part, what have you seen the candidates consistently do wrong when looking for a job? And then what do you have, what do you see the companies consistently do wrong when trying to fill those jobs? Candidates consistently try to make I think they sometimes for me, they oversell just because of the industry that I'm in. I think they oversell themselves and they put too much on the organization in terms of what they're going to do for them. And I think organizations are a little bit naive in the sense that they don't think that employees will ever leave them (laughs) or that the employee needs them. So they're like, you need, I, I think that's the, the, the change that's happened in the in the in the workforce completely is that it's no more of what can you do for me is what can I do for you. I mean, at will works both ways, right? It does. And both and both and both sides don't don't understand that. I think so. Kirsten, can you talk a little bit about how recruiters get paid? I know I think there's a, a retainer fee, flat fee. Well, I have um, been a corporate recruiter most of my life, so I was paid like an employee, um, and then you know get bonuses for meeting goals and you know for special things stuff like that. But, you know, there are third party recruiters that can be retained for specific roles and they would get a percentage of the higher salary paid by the organization. There are recruiters that get paid by job seekers to help them find a job who actually go out and look for jobs for them. There are recruiters who are, you know, on retainer who, you know, make a monthly or quarterly amount for supporting an organization and giving them candidates across different positions. And then there are recruiters who um, help people who, who supply contingent workers or temporary workers. So they get paid a percentage um, of a person's bill rate. They get, they get a bill rate and they and that company pays the employee. I'm guessing the best method is just depends on the recruiter and, and other variables. It depends on on number one, the, the, on the position. It depends on the position and it depends on um so there's an abundance. You, you will always have work, say, you know, filling um, manual labor jobs. You know, there's a lot of those and it helps the organization and it helps, you know, those third party recruiters stay employed to hire their people tempor- on a temporary basis. And especially when you don't have an organization that's very confident in their hiring practices, 
it's better to do that, you know, that temp to perm type of deal so that you get to try and buy before uh, you, you commit to the person. And those companies are the ones that are doing the work for you. So you, again, they're, they're keeping a pipeline. And, you know, if, if Joe Smith doesn't work out, then they can send Amy Jones, you know, the next week to see how she does. Kirsten, how does this happen? Like you, you, you get um, your social for position, you get a certain percentage of the salary and, and you work for two months and then they either like decide not to fill a job or someone else fills it. So basically you've done two months of work and you, and yeah. you get no money. Is that? Yeah, no, that's, that hurts. That hurts. Because that's, that really that's a lot of time and, and energy invested, right? For basically nothing, correct? It is. But a lot of times recruiters will, will be working with those type of talented people, especially in executive search. Um, you know, they may be looking at two companies or three companies that this person can be a fit for. So now let's talk about a pet peeve of mine. And this is, this is my opinion. It's like a lot of new HR people that get a college graduate, you know, college degree in HR and they're trying to find an HR job. They can't find anything. So they're going to be a recruiter for a company, but then the company doesn't really train them. They're like, okay, you know, brand new HR guy or girl, go find us 10 of this, but they do no training, no, no research to what the company's about. How, is that, is that a common across the recruiting industry or is this just in my mind? I think it is. Uh, Cause I get a lot of feedback, especially being in a new company um, where, you know, I hear things like you're the best recruiter I've ever worked with. And I'm like, I'm just doing my job. Like, I, I just don't think it's anything. I, I know I'm doing my job. Um, and my last corporate jobs were in operations. So I was the one that was doing the training for recruiters, doing the training for hiring managers. So any place I am, you know, it's all, you're always learning. <laughs> you're always, you know, being a better recruiter, myself included. I mean, I'm not the best recruiter I could be. I'm, you're, you're always going to, to need that continuing education. And let's, let's just be honest. A lot of these organizations that hire recruiters that don't have a certain personality or a certain passion for it, they don't really have a lot of respect for recruiters to begin with. So it's just a, a stopping place. Um, I did work for a company once um, in the Intel space that put folks, put these new college grads or people that were moving off of projects or people that are waiting for their clearance into recruiting, you know, and that sent, that sent a bad, that sent a bad message. No, I, I mean. <laughs> I'm, I'm speechless on that one. It happened. So Kirsten, from your point of view, does it matter if a recruiter is an introvert or extrovert? Does that matter? I am an ambivert. So I think I'm the best of, I, I'm introverted and I'm extroverted when I need to be. Uh, I definitely, because when I am engaged in the work, you know, in talking to people and talking to my hiring managers and talking to candidates, doing phone screens all day, like I actually have days that I set aside where I only do phone interviews, like do phone interviews or am, am going to be actually what I call on because I need time to, 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 you know, disengage. I, I can't be on 100% of the time. Yeah. Like me, I consider myself an introvert. Like I hate small talk. I, I you know, I don't know about talking about the weather, but like, yeah. but I love, like if you put me in a group of 50 people, I love like giving speeches, like doing this, but like one-on-one small talk. Yeah. Not, not so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm very similar to you in that I feed off the energy of the other people. So if they're not giving me anything back, then I'm just like, no thanks. Kirsten, I understand you have something for our listeners today. Yes. So one of the things that I offer through Trap Recruiter LLC is career coaching. And I will offer a 20% discount 
um, for, say, 10 of your listeners if they sign up for career coaching sessions. And Kirsten, can you share your social media with us so people can reach out to you? Yes, I can be found everywhere. Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Did I miss any? No, those are the only ones I use. I have Snapchat, but I don't really use it. At Trap Recruiter, T-R-A-P-R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-R. <laughs> Don't laugh. <laughs> and for our listeners, we'll have the links to her uh, her gift offer and her social media links and a blog and our, and our show notes at our blog, www.cabinetchlblog.com. Kirsten, we come to the end of our talk. Can you provide our listeners any last minute advice on any subject you want to cover? For recruiters, I want to encourage all of us to please just be good people. We are the ones who are creating the culture in organizations. And if we aren't doing our due diligence and bringing in the best people, you know, and doing good hiring practices, then we are going to continue to have, you know, trash garbage companies like we have now. So let's just be better people. Let, let's not continue bad behaviors that we see all over. And, you know, let, let's try and change the perception of what a recruiter is. Kirsten, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. You're doing a lot of great things for everyone. Thank you very much. Thank you. To our listeners, thank you for your time as well. And remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cabinets HR Podcast. Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and TikTok at Cabinets HR. Also check out our weekly live streams at the Cabinets HR Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and Periscope, where we focus each week on an HR topic important for small business. These are every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and last around three minutes. To join our weekly HR email newsletter list, send us an email to jasoncabinets at cabinetshr.com. Thank you, and remember to be great every day.